How's it going? <laughs> it's going great. Great. Dude, I got a lot of things Stop to talk me, man. about. You've been busy. I have been busy. It's been crazy. I got a list. You know I made a been... list. Yeah. Do you want to just get into well, it? I have a huge one. I think I even called you on this. Well, I got a, I think it's a big one anyway. It's that I would love to talk about that I think we could spend a pretty good podcast on chatting about, which probably would come off a little, uh, you know, big brother-ish or, you know, daddy-ish to most everybody hey, that daddy. we know in the industry. But yeah, right. It's not like that business, kind of daddy? You know, like, no, no, just, you know, I, th- I think you'll agree with most people, including myself, there's a certain amount of bravado with most of us that do things, right? So when things are brought up like safety or things related to safety, so many of us just, you know, we don't think about it or I wouldn't say that we think we're better than it, but you know, you just think, ah, it'll never happen to me. It's not that big of a deal. And so that's kind of what I mean. So what I, what I was going to talk about, if we want to, is I got in a conversation with our soon-to-be distributor in Australia. And we had a pretty good conversation about stuff, and he started asking me things about silicosis. And, see, look, I can't even say it without, like, ugh. Immediately, I thought, like, why are you even talking about silicosis, man? Like, seriously? It can't be that big of a deal. Well, apparently in Australia, they're coming after it, like, you know, the next, next asbestos kind of thing. So I took a few moments and I did some research on silicosis, thinking like, wow, maybe it's just one of those things I don't think about that's fairly prevalent, which led me down a whole nother path. So meaning that I looked at the statistics in the United States and I saw that, you know, over the last like 15 years, 20 probably, went from, let's say, 1,600 deaths related to silicosis all the way down to like 17. So then I'm thinking like I pulled up the, you know, the, the federal thing on deaths and I'm like, oh man, you know, more people, more people die from falling over, holding their breath too long and bumping their head than anybody's dying of silicosis. But that being said, it opened up a whole nother thought that brought down, now this is the parent side of me, you and I in past I'm probably talking too much, but you and I in the past process, we've talked about mortality, right? Not long ago, it was kind of in your own head. You had a son coming. Recently, I haven't talked much about it, but I had two pretty good friends pass away recently, one of a a sudden car crash. And so anyway, that got on my head like, Jesus, man, what what safety measures am I taking in my shop? You know what I mean? And recently we've been doing these reseals and anyway, that's a whole nother conversation still evolving around this whole safety stuff. So I'm going to ask you like, you know, Brandon, what related to, um, you know, I don't know, masks and face masks and air scrubbers. I mean, what kind of thing, what kind of safety stuff are you doing in your shop or when you're, you know, when you're working? Sure. Well, first of all, I think it's super important to wear PPE, personal protective equipment. And anybody comes to my shop, you know, we're doing classes. It's hard to wear a face mask and earplugs and, you know, teach a class. 
So in those environments, unfortunately, I don't wear that stuff. But on my day-to-day, any given day, if you were to stop by my shop and I'm working, I have earplugs in, I have a face mask on. If I'm cutting uh, anything, I'm wearing safety glasses. I've had too many pieces of melamine and bits of metal go in my eye because I, you know, decided to just do a quick cut and not put on safety glasses. So I always wear that stuff. I think it's huge. I think people undervalue their undervalue their health until it's gone. You know, they'll right. they'll debit that account again and again and again and again and then one day they wake up and they're in the hospital and the doctor's like, "Hey bro, don't know what to tell you. You know, you abused your body for too long and you did these things and it is what it is." So, I think it's smart to wear a respirator, wear safety glasses, wear hearing protection and not you know, just, just do what you can to mitigate the things you can mitigate. So I wear a full face, uh, dual respirator from 3M. I read a long time ago about the performance of a half face respirator versus a full face and a full face is exponentially more effective than a half face. So I wear that and also Mm -hmm. covers the, you know, the aspect of being uh, safety glasses because so many of the times when I'm like grinding concrete and cutting it, there's chips flying up. And so it's good to have a full face anyways, because it protects your eyes. Um, I have a uh, fan that I rigged up with a um, electrostatic HEPA air filter that just, I, it's like an air scrubber. It's like, you know, Dusty Baker made one like this using an attic fan. Works great. I just got a big box fan. Yeah. That's, I don't know, 300 CFM or something. And I use that and I have two electrostatic washable air filters and I just swap them out. So I'll wash one, put in the one that's already clean and dry. When that one starts to get clogged up, I pull it out, wash it, put the other one in. And that does a lot. You know, sometimes I do fiberglass. I don't do fiberglass a lot, but when I do, that's one of those things that the fiberglass fumes, the VOCs that come out of the resin, polyester resin, are really toxic. And guys do that for a living. I don't know how they do it because there's been times I've had to make a form that took maybe four or five days of fiberglass in the build. It's a complex, multi-part form. And in those uh, instances, my organs hurt. No joke, like my guts start to hurt because it's absorbing through my skin. All the VOCs are absorbing and I'm breathing in the fumes and it's just horrible. So I bought a positive air pressure respirator, P-A-P-R, positive air pressure respirator. I don't know, 1200 bucks, 1300 bucks, whatever it was. But, you know, at the time, I just kind of did the the calculus in my head of like, this is 1300 bucks. Okay, if it buys me a week more of life, was it worth 1300 bucks? Yeah. You better believe when you're in that end stage of life, you get an extra week, it's worth 1300 yeah. bucks, right? There's, there's no amount of money or that you would pay. years of or a yeah, minute, emphysema or a whatever. Minute. Yeah. You have one more minute with your kid when you're dying because you spent 1300 bucks. You'd spend 10,000, 100,000, a million dollars to have that, that moment. So in my mind, it's just one of those like, yeah, it's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money. I mean, what's your health worth? Dude, my deductible, Blue Cross Blue Shield, it's like fifty thousand dollars. You know, I paid twelve hundred bucks a month, and then I have to spend like fifty thousand out of pocket for they cover anything. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's just a small, small price to pay. But I'm a big fan of personal protective equipment. I think everybody should, you know, do it uh, as much as they can. I know it's inconvenient. I was telling you, I have my helper Aiden, and we're, we're remodeling a house right now, and I bought him a 3M respirator, and I told him, hey, this is yours. You own it. It's yours now. I wear mine you know, you wear yours, we're not, it's up to you, but whatever. And so we're like demoing the walls and, you know, there's probably lead paint, there's probably asbestos, who knows what's in these old walls. It's over a hundred years old. So I'm wearing right. a respirator. Look over him, he never puts it on, never puts it on. Too cool for school, inconvenient. Well, I don't know what it is. It's just the mindset yeah, that people have. Yeah, you're just have. not thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. 
You're just like, I don't need it. I don't need it. I'm good. Okay. You're, you're good until you're not good, you know, and that's the way it works. Right. So, Well, and that was, so recently I've talked on a, the podcast, but also I posted some pictures on the ICT group that I've been doing. I've, I've literally made it a pretty decent part now of my business is going out and doing restorations on projects on old con- concrete countertops. I won't do ones with epoxy on it, but you know, I just got done doing two recently that had some urethanes on them, but I'm going to talk about the first one for a second. My son helped me this summer. Now, you know, I'll say all day long, look, I got two Festool Rotex 150s. Um, I just got in those new diamond pads with the proper hole pattern to go on those Festools. They're hooked up to the Festool vacuums. I think that the, the 360 auto cleans. And so, I don't know, you know, I, I just didn't think much about mask because like, God, it's on a vacuum, right? And this is no joke. I even told the customer when they asked me about it, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I know. Cause she was asking me before a week or so before we came in, if we need to like tape off the kitchen, right. Put plastic up tarp. And I'm like, Hey, we got it on vacuums. It's, it's really not that big of a deal. There might be a little bit of dust, but you know, nothing crazy inconvenience. So we go in there, Jay and I work for two days. Not two days sanding. We sanded the first day. The second day we go in and seal. But again, no masks on, no nothing. The first thing that I noticed after doing our initial cut with the the 50 grit pads, vacuums going. Again, we got ear protection on. We got all that. But I looked over on the flat surfaces. She had like a, I don't know, some kind of desk and stuff on the side and, you know, the the uh, stools and stuff pushed over and I'm like, holy crap, man, those things are covered in dust. Like this. So then I checked, I'm like, no, the vacuums are working, but whatever. I blew it off thinking, you know, I really didn't look at these things beforehand. (laughs) Maybe it's just a dusty house, you know? Anyway, long story short, we finished this job and that's when the client hit me. She's like, Hey, you know what? I don't want to tell you guys what to do. And she went on to tell a story about an ex-husband who passed away from lung related issues at, you know, via the work that he was doing in construction. And that's what I'm done. You know, and then the second day come in and, you know, she had stuff all over her couch and stuff covering it up. But then that's when it dawned on me, like, you know, Hey, stupid, just cause they're not seeing all this stuff. Yes. Your vacuums are going, at least you think you got the right pads, which is, again, I'll go over that in a second, um, on your Festool Sanders, all that crap for a full day, him and I were breathing. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you thinking, man? You know? So um, anyway, and then and then maybe all this, I guess, you know, like we talk about so many times in life, like maybe sometimes the right inf- information hits you at the right time. Because that's when I got in the conversation with Sammy about silicosis. And, and that's when I'm like, oh, that's right. You know, we were just in this house. Not just us, but, you know, I'm not seeing all the dust because we're working. We're sitting there breathing that crap the whole time. Yeah, so, you know what? No, you're not going to see me anymore without a mask on, man. Um, and I'm actually looking on Amazon right now. Looking at now, I, I already have an one air scrubber that I have hanging. It's a jet hanging up in the shop, and I'm 
I'm going to pick up some of these portable ones too, at least one so that I can have at the shop and one that I can bring on site into a, into someone's home to both have air being scrubbed and our face masks on at the same time. So I, I, I really do think it's pretty important. Oh, super important. Super important. It's the best yeah. money you'll ever spend. Guarantee it. If it keeps you out of the hospital, if it gives you another day of life, week of life, minute of life, it was worth the money. Yeah. Well, and, and to add to that, so here I'm talking, you know, and by the way, the, the scrubbers that I'm looking at on Amazon, uh, you know, everything from 700 feet CFM to 1,000 CFM, pretty large ones. I mean, we're only talking, you know, 400 bucks. Yeah. I mean, I guess what I'm saying, we're, that was surprising to me. They're not four grand. I'm sure you could probably find some for $4,000 for these portable ones. But, you know, they're pretty inexpensive. So I would definitely encourage anybody like I was just thinking, I literally had this conversation with Jason Robertson the other day, who's working out of his garage. And I was the same thing, like, man, even if you have your doors open, like for me, I, I think about this, like at the shop when I'm mixing, my mixer, which is gas, I roll it out to the roll-up door, and that's where we load everything. So again, you know, oh, and I turn on a fan, and I have the one scrubber going. So I never think about wearing a mask. And then again, I'm just thinking, hey, stupid, <laughs> what are you doing? Because here I'm so focused on a fan blowing what dust I can see. But geez Louise, man, if you come into my shop, what's not covered in dust from what was flying in the air that you didn't see? But you're breathing all that crap. So anyway, that's part of it. The other thing I was going to go along with that is make sure, as we're talking about mass scrubbers, the other thing is your tooling. So back to that whole thing with the dust in the customer's home. On my Festool, make sure, well, whatever sander you're using, I always recommend putting pad protectors because if you ever use the, the diamond sanding pads, and attach them directly to your backer pads, it wears them out. It wears that hook loop out incredibly fast. And those backer pads are expensive. You know what I mean? They're like, I don't know, 55, 65 bucks a pop. And I had to learn that the hard way. So I put pad protectors in between. Again, not thinking about it, I had the Merca ones, which are still kind of a mesh. I mean, you've seen those, right? The mm -hmm. what I'm talking about, the pad protectors. Yeah. yeah. So Again, they are kind of a mesh. So again, I just wasn't thinking much about it. Like, well, of course, you know, you're, it's going to vacuum through this because it's kind of a mesh. So again, as I kind of kicking myself in my own butt, I went ahead and bought the proper Festool uh, protector pads, put them on, lined up on the, all the holes and, you know, to everything. And the one thing, so I tested the next job we did, which by the way, Jay and I put masks on everything and I set our phones face up to see if the same thing happened in this house. And now this time, by the way, I had the customer cover all the furniture in the house too, which I didn't do last time, uh, covered everything. And I just wanted to see what the difference was in dust. And I'm telling you, it was a night and day difference, yeah. night and day. 
I had no dust on, on either one of our cell phones, no dust on everything. Again, comparatively speaking, what I just saw at the previous home. So again, it was one of those like, come on, stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, just. Yeah. And not only that, not only that, you created dust in some lady's house whose husband died of lung disease. You insensitive right. ass. What were you thinking? Uh, what were you thinking? You weren't. Get, you know, that's the problem. And she did, it in a, she, she did it in a nice way, but she definitely chastised us. You yeah. know what I mean? That kind of like so. moment. Rightly so. Yeah. And that's what I told her. I told her when she hit me on it, she's like, ah, I just don't. I'm like, listen, you know, you're absolutely right. Here I got my 14 year old son with me. Neither one of us has masks on. You know, yes, we got the vacuums going. Yes, I have, you know, what I thought was the proper equipment. But now I know because I didn't have the right um, pad protectors on. So clearly it wasn't vacuuming as well as it should. Um, yeah, just night and day, man. Night and day, night and day. Um, was it night and let's day? Let's see, what else? Yeah, just in the amount of dust. And, Would you say night and day? You know, so, night, yeah. It was completely. Night and yeah, day. black and white. Oh, black night and, and white. Day. Yeah, switching black up. and white. Like that? Yeah. Like <laughs> you said night day like four hundred times in a row. You know, you know why? Because I don't know how to. Right. No, I don't know how to verbally project when the light bulb finally comes on over your head. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I bet I could have had this conversation so many times over the last 20 years and you're just like, ah, whatever, you know, you roll your eyes, everything from dust. We, we could talk about sealers for a minute. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I, and I'll go to that one here in a, in a minute, but you just kind of roll your eyes like whatever, man. Yeah. And in this case for me, I'm going to say the combination of moments for me was one, a customer like verbally hitting me on it. Like, yeah, I got no defense for that. Like, duh, what a stupid thing that I can't put a mask on. Um, especially after seeing how much dust was in her house. And then the, the conversation with Sammy, which again, I was ready to completely blow off. Um, until you're like, you know, all of this is so simple. So I, I literally ordered new bags and new filters for my, for the vacuums. Mm -hmm. And I, so let me ask you this, like, here's one, right? <laughs> so, uh, as the light bulb keeps getting brighter and brighter over my head, I literally went back and it seemed like a minute ago, but I'm going to ask you, when's the last time you swapped out your filter and your, uh, well, I think you use the, um, washable vacuum bag, right? In your Festool? No. Vacuum? What I did is I bought that, uh, pre-separator from Festool. Mm. It was actually from Oneida is the cyclone, but they make it for Festool. So it's got like a sustainer that it attaches to. I use that and I haven't changed the vacuum bag in a long time because it gets 99% of the dust. So very little goes into the actual vacuum bag, but I probably changed the filters two or three times in the last probably five years. You know, I probably should be changing them every six months or, or more, but um, I haven't. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I went and looked it up two years. No, 2000. 19. Yeah. <laughs> so three years now. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my God, man. So, you know, and it runs no better. Long, no, it runs better. When you put it new runs filters better. In, yeah. So that's, that could be part of the reason why too, that in the, the second job when we were sanding, 
you know, other than swapped out the, the proper, uh, protector pad, I changed the, our filter bags, you know, changed all that stuff and put masks on. I don't know, man. It was just like, like I said, the, the light bulb over the head, um, just about this kind of stuff. I'd when say it's a night and day, B C night and day. It's night and day. Night and day. And it's not expensive. Like, how freaking stupid are you for not just buying a scrubber to put in your shop or whatever workspace you're in? Yeah. You I've looked at the ones from um Grizzly. Grizzly sells some, some big ones, some really big ones. And I think the next shop I do, I'll get some of those like really big whole shop air scrubbers that will do, I don't know, three thousand CFM or something. Because you know, if you do the math on my shop here, it has in the middle, it's like 20 foot ceilings. So right. it's a lot of volume. And I did the math at one point and I would need some massive scrubbers to, you know, turn air over every whatever, three minutes or five minutes, whatever it was. So anyways, yeah. Hey, let's move on to the next subject because we've been on this one for 20 minutes. I have something I want to talk about real quick. And sure. that is, and it's a common question in the workshops. It's a common question I get uh, via email is how do you calculate how much concrete you need for a project, right? And mm. the easiest way, in my opinion, is to calculate your volume in cubic inches. So it's length times width times height. And it's height, not height. I used to say that. And a buddy of mine is like, dude, you sound like an idiot. It's not height, it's height. You're right. Length times width times height. And you multiply that together. And then you divide that by 1728 because there's 1728 cubic inches in a cubic foot, which is 12 by 12, which is 144 times 12, which is 1728. So you divide your cubic inches by 1728. That gives you your cubic feet. And then you divide that by 0.37 because each bag of maker mix will make 0.37 cubic feet. And it tells you how many bags you need. So anyways, long story short is I was uh, measuring the mix to pour my countertops for my house. What is today? Friday. So I guess it was Wednesday. So measuring the mix, uh, both my girls got sick. They like caught some bug. So anyways, they're home with dad. Mom wasn't here at the time. She was out. So the girls are here at my shop helping me. And my three-year-old is super inquisitive. And so she's like following me around. I'm measuring stuff. I'm writing stuff down. And she's asking questions. She wants me to hold her up. She wants to see the tape measure. She wants to understand what I'm doing. So I'm explaining it to her. Write down all my measurements. Calculate, you know, 24 by 16, 16 by blah, 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 blah. I'm just going through. Yeah, yeah. Add it all up. Divide by 17, 20. I need 10 bags. Perfect. Done. I need this much pigment. I need this much TVP. I need that, that much fiber. I need this much water. 80% ice. You got it, Aiden. Got it, boss. We're on it. Boom, 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 boom. We're casting. We're getting down to like the last couple pieces. I'm like, hmm. We don't have enough mix. Aiden's like, yeah. I didn't want to say anything. I was like, yeah. I was like, dude, this doesn't make any Maybe sense. you should have. I know. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I've been like really hard on him for jinxing things. Oh. Anybody that knows me knows I'm super superstitious, like incredibly superstitious, and I hate jinxing anything. So I'll tell you about the jinx in a minute. But so he's like, yeah, I, I, you know, I saw it coming, but I didn't want to say anything. I'm like, yeah. I was like, I don't know why. Like, I know I measured everything. I measured every piece. And then it hit me. I measured everything just length and width, width. And multiplied that, but I didn't multiply it by 1.5 because it's one and a half inch thick solid. And so I was three bags short, essentially. And so I was like, oh, damn it. So we mixed up three bags super quick in the uh, Imer 360. I added the leftover mix we had into that to help kind of blend the color together in case there's a slight discrepancy. And we poured it. They, every piece came out flawless, flawless, perfect, Perfect, perfect. Poured it on Wednesday, demolded it yesterday, processed it yesterday, sealed it last night. They're done. They're beautiful. 
Love it. So as far as the chinks goes, I put in two pieces of turquoise from Arizona, turquoise inlays. That's another thing I want to hit real quick is uh, inlays. I use super 77 spray adhesive. I just do a light coat, let it tack up, stick them. So in classes, how do you guys, how do you do inlays? Super 77. That's it. That's it. That's all you got to do. It'll hold. So that's what I do. Let it tack up, give it a couple minutes, stick them, done. So we're right starting to cast one of the pieces of an inlay. What does Aiden ask? What do you think he asked? I don't know. Was it made out of? No. <laughs> no. Has, has an inlay ever come off when you're casting? No. And I'm like, it didn't until now. Jeez. It didn't until now. I was like, why would you say that right here? Like right in this moment, why would you say this to me? He's like, oh, and I'm like, don't ever. I was like, if, dude, guys that work on skyscrapers, super superstitious. You don't ever talk about falling when you're a hundred stories up on a beam. You don't say, hey man. Anybody ever fall? You ever think you fall yeah. off this building by accident? Well, I did until you just said it. You don't say it. You don't say it. I was like, so don't ever, ever, ever project the worst case scenario right in the middle of the process. Save that question until we've demolded it and it's perfect. Then ask that question, but not right now. And yeah. he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, okay. So anyways, so uh, jinxing. Well, did you at least answer his question? <laughs> I did. And, and I have, well, I, I haven't had an inlay pop off, but I have had a, uh, I talked about it on a long podcast way, way back. I had this like recess in the bottom of a form that was for my uh, plate that I put in my furniture pieces that has yeah, information. Yeah, I that one, yeah. And I super 77 that plastic to the underside. Never had one of those come off. Flip it over, that plate had popped off and landed dead flat on the surface and the concrete had gone over it, not under it, which again, is a miracle somehow that it didn't just pop up into the middle of the concrete. And there it was. I'd recast that table because that piece, but that has happened. Yeah, I've done that. I've done hundreds of inlays over the years of Super 77. Not one has popped. Just that one plastic piece that was on the back came off uh and you know gravity we're vibrating the piece you know shaking it like you know shaking around hitting it with hammers and stuff doing all kind of stuff so it, that could have been part of it just again to quickly touch on it one more time to calculate the amount of mix you need calculate volume length times width times height divide by 1728 that's your cubic feet and then divide that by 0 0.37 which is how many cubic feet a bag of maker mix makes and say it comes out to 6.4. Right. Just call it seven bags. You need some extra anyways. There's going to be some stuck in the mixer, some stuck in the bucket, some fell on the floor. It's good to have a little extra. So, you know, if it, whatever it is, if it's, if it's 7.4, 7.6, 7.2, whatever it is, I just round up. Screw it. I round up. I That's set up other molds. Yeah. Yeah, I do the same thing. I try to make it, you know, even bags. Yeah, yeah. it's no way question. easier. Because if, if I try to do a half bag, oh, I'm going to save a half bag. Uh, dude, right. I'm not saving anything. By the end of the t by the time I dick around with, you know, weighing this out and doing all that kind of stuff, and then I cast and I came out one pound short, one pound. Right. I'm just like, all I need was a handful, <laughs> and that's all I was short. Had right. I just done that half a bag, what did I save? No. I saved seven no. bucks or ten bucks or whatever it is. You know, I didn't save anything, but I cost myself a ton. So I just always yeah. round up. But anyways, that's how you do it. Volume divide by seventeen twenty eight divide by point three seven. And we've talked about this. You know, I. For a long time, I use spreadsheets. I mean, I'm big on spreadsheets. One of my main reasons for the spreadsheets is I don't have to keep notes on a client's project. And so if I ever go back to that project, I don't have to try to figure out where my scribble is and where I put down how many bags I used and how much pigment. And so it's, I save it. I save it in, in my files for all the clients. 
to do that, I use an Excel based spreadsheet. So I should, I mean, and I know I keep talking about this. Uh, I should probably put one together that's takes at least 50% out of the noise out of what I use. Cause man, I still have, when I originally made them, you know, all the primary colors and pigments. So there's probably, I don't know, 30 some odd spaces for pigment. I don't need all that crap anymore. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I might do something like that and have it available that for anybody who wants to, you know, do a spreadsheet kind of thing and then keep track of it themselves. But that being said, per what you said in the spreadsheet, that's what the first page has where I can actually type in, you know, whatever vanity, length, height, thickness, boom, see that height. I know. Um, <laughs> Bob Wilkinson, an architect, the one who chastised me on that. I was like, yeah, the height. He's like, no, 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 no. There's no TH. There's no T. You sound like an idiot. Don't say that. I also used to say footer. Yeah, I was like, oh, the footer. He's like, don't say footer, dude. Footing. Footing, not a footer. Footing. Yeah, a I'm footing. like, I appreciate people doing that, though, because then I correct myself and I mentally, you know, make that note but and I never don't. do it again. If there's clearly a TH at the end. There's it's height. 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 Not height. There's only a T? There's only a T. It's a silent. It's, it's a silent. width, length, and height. T. T. Unless you have a speech impediment, which you might, and that's okay. Then you can th, like James. James. Hang on, now I'm feeling like an idiot. How Dude, do you spell height? H e i g h t. There's no h at the end. Well, yeah, there you go. I guess that's what I was thinking because of the h t. Got it. Hey, so those concrete tile I cast. Um, yeah, a couple things. Uh, some lessons, lessons all around, lessons with the concrete tile, lessons with the concrete countertops, things that people listening might find a benefit. Number one, I've made a lot of concrete tile over the years and a lot of it shipped to customers, but a lot of it I've installed myself. If you come to my shop, I have concrete tile in the bathroom. Well, I guess I wasn't coming anymore because we had our last class, but concrete tile in the bathroom here. I've done concrete tile in my own homes, but they're all small format tile, you know, six by six, eight by eight, something like that, 12 by 12. But these tile I made for my house were... 36 by 22. And so much bigger tile, half inch thick. And by the way, Maker Mix poured these SEC GFRC, not one bit of curl in any of them. Flipped them, cool. sealed them, dead flat. From the time I cast them to the time I installed them dead flat. And I never had that with my old polymer modified mixes. Those things would curl like crazy, you know. And you could flex them. You could get them to lay flat. You'd have to use clamps and all this different stuff. But you could get them back down. But they, they were just, you know, like... Pringle potato chips, where these uh, Maker Mix pieces were just dead, dead, dead flat, which is pretty amazing. But anyways, Very cool. I post this on, on Facebook. Hey, guys, you know, what thin set um, trowel selection would you recommend? And I got a lot of different responses, but Joe Bates said he uses epoxy. And I talked to him on the phone, and he's like, he's got a tile installer. Joe's making these tiles that are like 10 foot by 10 foot. And uh, his tile installer is using epoxy. It's $1,000 per tile in epoxy, just for the epoxy, per tile to set. But What? Yeah. I did the math for my house. Ooh. It was going to be like $2,300 or something. It's only like 150 square feet, but I had to order like all these small kits to do it. And it's going to be like 2300 bucks plus shipping. Anyways, I digress. So I'm talking to Joe and he's like, yeah, you know, we used to use thin set and I got curling and it's the polymer. So if you use a thin set, you have to use an unmodified that doesn't have polymer because the polymer is holding moisture and it's is causing too much moisture to sit on the underside of the tile for too long and it causes them to curl. I was like, well, I talked to John and yeah. John said, 
just roll on a coat of prime. He's like, yeah, John always says that. He's like, I'm just telling you, my experience has been if you use thin set, it's going to curl, right? You want to use epoxy. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Because, dude, I know epoxy. It's going to be a mess. I'm going to get on my fingers. I'm going to touch my face. I'm going to touch yeah. the top of the, the, top of the tile. That's what I'm thinking, too. It's going to get on everything. <laughs> exactly. It's going to get through the whole yeah. house. And it's epoxy. So when it hardens, you're screwed, right? So I'm not, I'm not a professional tile setter. If I was, I'd use epoxy. But I'm not. I'm an idiot. I'm a fumbling buffoon that should not be allowed anywhere near anything like that. So, so then uh, Joseph Paisley, or Paisley said, use a facet uh, thin set, right? Use facet thin set mm -hmm. because it's going to cure fast enough that you don't have any curling issues. Okay. So I get to, I get to, uh, Kansas and I go to this store and they have it. And by the way, if anybody's interested, it's Laticrete four, the number four, uh, XLT or LXT. I think it's XLT four XLT rapid. I do the math, blah, blah, blah. So I get like, I don't know, 10 bags of this stuff or nine bags, whatever it is. And, uh, and we mix up the first and I say, let's just do a half bag to play it safe. Let's just do a half bag. And we're going to set the first couple of tile and just kind of see how it goes. We're just going to play it by ear, right? So we mix it up mm -hmm. and I'm using ice, which nobody recommends with thin set. But I'm like, you know, I know, I know the chemistry of the way cementitious products work. I'm going to use ice. I'm going to cool this mix. I'm going to get more working time. Mix it up. Go set the first tiles. Literally within, I don't know, seven minutes, mix is done. Done. And the tiles that I set are stuck. Like, you're not moving them. I took a hammer and wood blocks. I'm trying to just bump it an eighth of an inch. It's just done. around. It's done. Stuck, right? I'm not used to that. I'm used to having some working time. Like you set three or four tile. This one's off a little bit. You can shift a little bit. You can adjust it. You know, and you can, you can work your way across the floor and make these incremental adjustments as needed if one of them's off alignment just a little bit. But this, the very first tile I set was off. Like, an eighth of an inch out of alignment. And that ripples through the entire floor. Like once that happens, because I have eighth inch, yeah. I don't have big fat half inch joints I can hide it with. I have eighth inch joints and I'm using tile spacer clip things, you know, that tie everything down and together. So once that happens, you're screwed. And so that was number one. And I got like two or three tiles in and I set another tile that was askew. The thin set underneath, I didn't compress it enough. It's like sitting up at an angle. And then by the time I noticed it, which is only like a few minutes, it was done. So I go to pull it up and I had put down an uncoupling membrane, which is like Schluter Ditra or Laticrete um, Stratomat, which is uh, just yeah, I was a, wondering what that was. I, the, that's the, that you rolled out? Yeah, it's plastic. So you put thin set down and then you put the plastic mat into that and you compress it. You, you get all the air bubbles out and then that hardens and then you do the tile over that. And what that does is creates a break between the plywood subfloor because we're doing this. This house has a basement. It's a hundred year old house. So it's on a plywood subfloor. So you do that to uncouple it. So an uncoupling membrane from the wood gotcha. floor so it allows movement. So you don't get cracking of tile and all the craziness that happens if I just put it directly over the plywood. So anyway, so that's uncoupling. Right. But I go to pull out that one tile that was like a skew, like at an angle, pulls out the uncoupling membrane with it. Like this stuff is tenacious. Just rips it out with it. So then I have to like cut out a big section and redo the uncoupling membrane. Anyways, I about damn near killed myself. I had to do a half bag at a time, maximum three tiles at a time, setting them before it was done. And that's us hustling. It took two days. I thought it was going to take, you know, a couple hours. I'm like, oh, dude, let's go get a coffee. All we got to do today is set this top. You know, by lunch, we'll be our feet up, you know, whatever. No, at midnight, we're still like struggling. I'm like, I'm going to call it. We're going to pick up tomorrow where we left off. And it was still late into the day that we got it done. So it took two days to set 150 square feet of tile. But it all has to do with that rapid thin set. Had I not used that rapid set thin set, if I just used regular thin set, I wouldn't have had those issues. But... I didn't want to take the chance of curling. 
So that was, that was my lesson. That's number one, lesson number one. Lesson number two, and this is something we've kind of briefly hit on, and um, we've talked about this little trick in past episodes, but uh, we haven't talked about it in depth, is so when I made my countertops, I have this turquoise inlays, which I just talked about. And luckily, they did not pop off. They stayed where they were supposed to. I flipped them over. They look beautiful. And so I hand polished the diamond hand pad, the concrete around it, because the Super 77 adds some thickness, maybe like, you know, one... I don't know, 70th of an inch, like so minor, but it adds some thickness. When you stick it, the inlay sits just slightly below the surface. When you pop it over, little trick, take acetone, very carefully clean off all the residue before you start doing anything because you don't want to smear that adhesive all over your countertop. I've done that. It'll stain it. So clean it off first. But then take a diamond hand pad and just hand polish down till it's smooth, right? So then I get totally smooth. What that does, it exposes more sands in that one spot and it changes the texture slightly. So I do the diamond hand polish, then I acid etch and uh, do everything just like I normally do. They look beautiful. And then I seal them. 50-50 prime, 50-50 prime, 100% prime, um, 100% protect, 100% protect. And I do the vinegar wipe before I start all that. And uh, they look great, but I see a slight textural sheen difference where those inlays are. Right? You can see it. You're yeah, just like, where you ran the hand pads. Yeah. Exactly. Even though I acid etched over it, it just changed the surface, the sheen of it. You can see it. You can see it in raking light. But there's a trick. The trick is you take Protect, ICT Protect, put in a HVLP spray gun and fog it over the piece. Fog it. Don't spray it like you're applying car paint. Fog it. I'm probably 18 inches above the piece. I'm kind of going around in a circular motion, not back and forth, but just like creating a circular motion. And it creates this fog that just settles onto the piece. And those little micro droplets harden like diamonds on the surface, but they're so small. And it creates like maybe a 400 grit sandpaper texture, so fine, but it evens out that surface sheen. So when you look in raking light, now the countertop and the inlay area are all the same sheen. And so I did that last night after I got all sealed. It's on a sealing step. I fogged that last coat, not last coat, but I, the, the last thing I did was I fogged protect and the countertops look beautiful but that's a little trick if you ever have scratches in your piece sometimes that happens yeah you have scratches in the piece you have inconsistent uh surface texture whatever it is fog on that last coat of uh or fog on a coat of protect and let it settle and that will even out the sheen that's a huge 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 kind of uh hack trick work yeah we don't show that enough in the workshops we really should i think yeah, we, we, we don't talk about it enough. We don't show it enough, quite frankly. And to add to that, and I know I've said this before, so when people do it, though, that the key is understanding this is not a protective application. This is an aesthetic application. 100%. So. Yeah, and you don't want yeah. to put on heavy. I, I forget. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, and um, I, I was just talking to someone just about this. I still do it. If I do a fabric form mold and when I'm doing my fabric form, I'm sanding the fiberglass. But a lot of times that first coat of, um, or I'm sorry, I'm sanding my fiberglass form. And a lot of times that first sanding step is 80 grit sandpaper. And that'll put some deep scratches in that for whatever reason, I miss them through the rest of the steps. And then when I go to cast, I can see a couple deep scratches in the surface. And those scratches in turn translate to the surface of the concrete. I can see it in my demolded piece. And so I acid etch, I do the whole thing. But when I seal, I'll still see them. I can see them. Now the client probably won't see them, but I can see them. I know what it is. But if I fog on, 
fog, fog, let fog be the key word here. Fog on a coat of protect at the end and let it just settle on the surface and dry. Perfect, perfect. Just yeah. the most beautiful, even sheen across the whole surface. It doesn't, doesn't even seem possible. And you do it by fogging it on with the HVLP. I get a cheap HVLP from Harbor Freight. I get them when they're on sale for like 13 bucks each. I have, I buy like five or 10 at a time and they go on sale and just keep them on my shelf. And uh, that's what I use. And I've been using this one now for probably a couple of years. It's still going great. So, yeah. And I think I asked you this before, but what tip are you using? The one that comes with, which I want to say is a point. I don't know what it is. Uh, but it's the one it comes with. I'm not, I'm not, it's a Harbor Freight HVLP. It's the purple wind, gravity fed cup gun. Okay. Whatever it comes with is what I'm using. But if you've never used an HVLP, play with it a little bit. There's a couple different settings. There's um, the, uh, I, I'm not sure what it's called, but there's a screw on the backside of the gun that it controls the flow rate. So you can dial it in, turn it in, and you'll start to restrict how much material comes out and you can dial it back to open it up. Um, when I'm doing this, I kind of restrict it. I want to have like a light fog. I want to control the fog. If I had it opened up yeah. full blast, it'd be too much sealer coming out and I'd probably put it on too heavy. I'd rather do it slowly in the sense of kind of build it versus just dump on a ton and, and have too much. So that's number one. And the second thing Agreed. is going to be your fan pattern. So you can control that. I always have that wide open, meaning the widest fan possible. I'm not like turning it into like a two inch uh, application spray. It's like as big as it can get. And then you control your air pressure as well. And, uh, but you play with a little bit, you can just put water in it. Don't spray your piece, but just up in the air and look at it and kind of get it to where you like it. Then dump out the water and then put the protect in and spray a little bit and then get your piece. There you go. Cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. We need, we need to start showing that more often. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's one of those tricks that it works amazing. It really does. It sure does, John. That's, that's why you do it. That's why I do it. Anybody wants to send a uh, check for that tip, send it to Brandon Gore, 45 Bay Ridge Road, York Springs, Arkansas, 72631. Yes. I think that goes to John Schuler <laughs> at ICT no, Reactive. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's a BG tip. BG gets the credit for this one. Uh, oh, that's awesome. What else? I had one other note in my notes here, yeah. things to talk about, and that's fibers. Now, we had somebody hit us up. We haven't heard back yet, but they, uh, they mixed up some Maker Mix. It was a test. They ordered some stuff from Joe, and the mix choked on them. It got really thick. Yeah. And the, Joe sent them fibers, but the person thought that they'd received AR fiber, but Joe doesn't send AR fiber. He sent PVA. So a couple things. Number one, they added PVA where they thought they were adding glass. But second of all, they also added glass, but we don't know if they're using HD glass, high dispersion glass. You don't ever want to use HD. Right. And you don't want to confuse um, AR fiber and, and PVA fibers because you load them at different rates. So fiber, just always be very, very careful, especially if you're using different types of fiber, PVAs, glass, whatever. I only use glass. But if I had different types of fiber in my shop, I'd want to double check before I put it in the mix exactly what it is I'm using, make sure I'm using the right stuff, dosed at the right percentage for that mix I'm mixing. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, I, I still get lots of questions on fiber, but and I'm going to put an addendum, and I know we've talked about this before with the HD. I'm telling you, man, I'm I'm extremely happy with those three millimeter AR HD anti-cracks. I mean, those are a completely different animal than any of the half inch, the three quarter inch monofilament fiber that I've used before. So, I mean, personally, I've incorporated those into everything that I'm doing, including my SCCs. I, I mean, and I think I hit you on it too. 
And who was I just talking to? Jess Warren. That's who I was just talking to, who he just, he called me back because I'm, we had a long conversation about that and he's going to use some, there's still a lot of fear. Uh, maybe fear is not right. How about anxiety about the bundle glass fiber showing? Mm-hmm. I think it was just a second ago, which is, it's, I mean, again, right. I'm not here to knock on anybody. So whatever direction anybody goes, you just have to find your comfort zone. So that's what Jess, Jess was using. He did a 1% PVA 400 load and a half percent of the three millimeter anti-crack, which technically is an, is an HD fiber. And he ran, you know, the recommended TBP. He ran right at the, I'm going to say the high edge of the recommended water. So it was just, you know, a six, one type of thing. And it was funny because what started our conversation was he was running his water quite a bit higher than that. And he's like, John, you know, what do you think? And I'm like, honestly, man, I just do me a favor. <laughs> Number one, he, and here's the wild thing. I actually had him increase his fiber load. I think he was at like 0.2% of the three millimeters. And, um, and what he, the reason why he called is, and this was a huge vanity piece. He ended up with a, something he was uncomfortable with a, a little micro crack. I think if I remember right, it was like down around the, the, um, drain hole or something. It's like, ah, I'm throwing it away. And I'm like, but you, ICT will fix that, man. I mean, in, unless you're talking about something insane, I wouldn't sweat it. He's like, I'm, I'm just not comfortable with it. And I'm like, so that's what led down the discussion. Hit me again. Where's your water? You know, what are you doing? Yada, yada, yada. And so he told me and I'm like, Ooh, and I had to have the whole conversation. I guess I didn't have to, but I had the whole conversation with him again about, you know, PVA versus glass loadings, you know, the two to one ratio kind of thing. So I had him bump his PVA 400s to 1% and bump his anti-cracks, the three millimeters to half percent and then drop his water back in line, but leave his TBP alone. That was a week ago. And I hadn't Maybe not that long ago, but I hadn't heard from him. So today I heard from him back and, uh, yeah, flawless. He was just like both him and he works with his son works with him. They were, let's say pleasantly surprised by dropping out a half a pound because he's like, John, I know even after I talked to you, I was just sure I'm going to have to add that half pound of water. I was just sure I was going to have to do it. I'm like, no, man, you're not. So, um. So yeah, that being said, have you ordered any of those? I know you're getting ready to move. So, you know, materials in stock is not something you're looking for, but did have you picked up any of those yet? Nope. Nope. I will. Okay. I will at some point, but uh, no, I haven't. I'm pretty happy with them. I talked to Joe Bates as well, and he's doing the same. He's now bringing them into everything based on what he's doing. And I really like the fact that you can load them in. They don't choke out your mix, you know, nothing like those old half inch and three quarters that I would have slapped anybody like, oh my God, do not (laughs) use those things. They're insane. But these are pretty amazing. And I'll be honest, I don't know if it's because it's an Owens Corning, it's the length, it's the size of the monofilament fiber. Um, But yeah, they're a very nice addition to what's going on. What else do you have, John? What else you got? Um, well, one thing I was just going to put out there, uh, the feedback I've gotten from guys that I sent those sanding pads to the diamond impregnated pads that I had made for the Festool pattern. I'm waiting for them to post on our pages, but 
all feedbacks come back extremely positive. Um, the two guys saying they did reseals, they couldn't believe it that how easy it would. So I, my point being is, I today ordered some more. So when they come in, anybody listening, um, we'll put them up on the store and start having them available. Sweet for people. So nice. yeah, and then um, no, so that was it. I just want to let know those. I think we're going to have those ready here and available as, as soon as they make the next round for me. Cool, cool, cool. Well, one thing I want to discuss, maybe the last thing we discuss, because we're we're pushing an hour at this point, is the concrete hoedown in the holler. The hoedown in the holler yeah. with uh, Dusty Baker, John Schuler, and Brandon Gore. And I think Buddy Rose is going to be there, and uh, Brandon Browning, and Tommy Hearn, and Edgar Martinez. It's going to be a really good time. Really good time. We've had several registrations. We're starting to think maybe about capping it. So... If you're thinking about it, you're on the fence, pull the trigger today. Pull the trigger today because what you don't want to do is as we get a little bit closer, if we start getting too many registrations, we say, hey guys, we're going to have to cut it off at this point. And you're like, oh, but I was going to do it. Well, could have, would have, should have. Do it today. Sign up today. Well, and to add to that, well, I'm, let me just add to that for a second. The other thing I'm just going to ask anybody who want, you know is looking to sign up, I'm just going to ask you, please do it sooner than later because... We also are trying to organize things like have somebody there for barbecue. Oh, exactly. And, yeah. We need to have a, a you know, so, I mean, yeah. So, so that we can have an, I mean, the last thing I want to do for anybody is, you know, you come in late for whatever your own reasons are. I can understand that, but we are trying to organize this in a way. So there's room for everyone. There's food um, and these kind of things. So that's, that one. I was going to throw out just based on how it's being organized. Yeah. Well, what I'm concerned about is because we've had several registrations and we have uh, several people that are coming uh, as helpers. So the event's already starting to get full, but we've had a ton of chatter from people saying they're going to come, but they haven't enrolled yet. They haven't registered right. for their event yet. What I'm worried about is as we get closer, we're going to have this mass influx. It's going to just be too many to last second to accommodate. And so that's why, if you want to get in, get in, because at some point we are going to have to probably say, hey, that's it. Because if, you know, 20 more people register at this point, we're going to be screwed with food and everything else. So mm -hmm. register sooner than later. And how you register, you go to KodiakPro.com, go to shop, training and events, and then you can click on the concrete hoedown and holler. It's October 14th and 15th. Meet you in Tennessee, which is Dusty Baker's shop. He doesn't like to call the studio. He likes to call the shop. So Dusty Baker's shop. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Two days, social event. We're going to mix concrete. We're going to cast concrete. We're going to seal concrete. We're going to answer your questions. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a lot of camaraderie, yeah. a lot of time to hang out and just talk and uh, just spend time with other people that like to do what you like to do. Sounds good, man. Sounds great. Not good. Great. I'm go with good. Great. I'll, I'll go great when I see it. When I see me, and I know I've said this, but... I put my feelers out and I'm, I'm putting a couple ringers in for the Schuler team. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> so is it going to be Alan, Alan Netsky and Ron Mills going to be on the Schuler team? You never know, dude. I, hope they, know. I hope they come and right? show up on Team Schuler. Yeah. I'll be the dream team, we'll come the, in the brain the, trust. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm cool with that. It's going to be a yeah. good time. We'll over-engineer it. Yeah. Oh, dude. You it'll be, should, it'll, get, it'll be cured to like 400,000 PSI. It's going to be harder than diamonds when the thing's done. Well, that would be fun. You know what? Uh, that's what I forgot to do today. I was going to send an email to Jeff 
Gerard for that reason. I think it'd be fun if he came out and um, I remember the one epic where he came in and you remember we engineered and took his specs on. So, so yeah, I'd, I'd love to see him out there as well. Yep. Jeff and Lane, if you're listening, you know, hope, hope you can make it. Absolutely. What else? Anything else, John Schuler? That's all I can think about at the minute, at the moment. Oh, last thing. Last, last, last thing, I promise, is we had that announcement a while back that the uh, website, we're having some technical issues and the contact me or John a place in order. It appears that it's been resolved. So people yeah, have been placing... Yeah, I think we sorted that out, yeah. Yeah, people have been placing our orders uh, all week without issue. We've been getting orders coming through the website that are fine. So feel free to place your order. There was a workaround, apparently, the uh, cash or cachet or however you say it, um, with Shopify, our, our uh, online store gateway provider, whatever you want to call it, had like had built up in such a way that when people were trying to check out, it kept like jamming up. And so they were, mm -hmm. the workaround was what? You delete your address and re-enter your address and that worked fine? Was that what it was? Well, it was a couple things. Like, so number one, anybody listening, if you go in on a, I don't know, and, and this happens, I know a lot of people do it and I totally understand it. So let's say you went in on a Wednesday and you filled your chop, shopping cart with, you know, a pallet of Maker Mix and, and whatever, a pail of TBP. And then you come back on Monday or Tuesday the following week to fill that order. So that was one thing that they were saying that, you know, maybe people leaving the stuff in their cart longer than X hours could have been, you know, knocking out the cachet or whatever they call it. And so that was one. Go in there, delete everything out of your cart log yourself out of the site and then log yourself back in. So that was one. And then the other one was again, a potential, and this was on their end, that something in the cache, I don't even know what is the cache, like it's a memory or something. Yeah, exactly. Just so, kind of anyway. save stuff to make it quicker and easier as you're going. Just build right. up, yeah, it's like memory. So they said, yeah, the other one thing possibility is then same thing, empty your cart. If it, if you go to check out and it says Kodiak does not deliver to this address, then delete, delete your card out, delete everything in your cart, excuse me, and then go in and just update your address. Even though you're leaving it the same, just go in there, change something, and then log yourself out, log yourself back in. But those were the two things. Number one, deal with anything in your cart that may have been in there too long. And then number two, if it continues to do that, go in there, modify your address and log out and log back in. So th those are the two things. Gotcha. And yeah, so far, those people that did it, um, those are the things that worked. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Well, I think that's it, John. Cool, man. Well, good talking to you as always. It was great talking to you, John. I know it is. I, you know, I don't tell anybody this, but sometimes I just talk to myself. I'm a pretty good conversationalist. You don't listen now. You just talk. <laughs> you just talk. I, I, do. <laughs> I do. I'm really bad for that. You know, you know what's funny? I was working with my son the other day. This is no kidding. So I'm working with him and we're actually, anyway, it doesn't matter what we were doing, but he was working with me. In the afternoon, we were driving back to the shop. And he's sitting over there next to me. He goes, Dad. I go, yeah, buddy, what's up? He goes, well, 
you know something I don't like about you? <laughs> like, I don't like the way this is going. I like, like, I like the start of this conversation. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's just stop this right here, buddy. You're going to air your grievances? You to tell you what let's I don't do like about you? Let's do it. Air the grievances. <laughs> yeah, all right. So that, he's like, well, you know when you ask me to do something and then, and then you show me how to do something, but you just do it? I'm like, uh, yeah, I know that's a really bad habit of mine. <laughs> and I was thinking about that. How many times you're talking about talking, but how many times do I do that at the workshop? Yeah. Here. Here's how you, you do know, this. And then you just do it. Here, yeah. <laughs> I'll pull the, the trowel right, right out of their hands. I'll be like, well, hold it like this. And then, and then I'm done. They look at me like, thanks, John. I'm yeah. like, oh, that's right. I just did it. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I'll Dude. give it back to you. Festivus. Festivus. You watch Seinfeld? Festivus? Feats of Strength? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's why, you know, he aired his grievances, but the only way that day should conclude is Feats of Strength. He has to pin you. He has to pin you down in a wrestling match. He's like, tell him, hey, son, oh, you aired your grievances. Now you got to pin me. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. The night's yeah. not over until you pin dad. So let's do yeah, it. Let's Come on. Go! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would stop the errands of grievances. He would be like, yeah, I'm not doing that again. No, but that was funny, man. That was hilarious. pretty funny. The two of us driving. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Brandon. All right, John. Well, good talking to you, man. It was great talking to you. Thank you, sir. It was great. I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you later. Adios, amigo. Adios. <laughs>